0: You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit, Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozikov, global marketing lead at win by night and product manager and university-level faculty by day hello everyone i am still bamboozled and yes i said bamboozled about the fact that we are in season three of the win-win podcast i have been waiting not so patiently to reveal the phenomenal speakers we have coming on this season from luxury conglomerates to startup legends to senior leaders at fortune 500 companies and innovation consultants of course if you have a dream guest that you want to hear from, definitely DM us on our Instagram at Women in Innovation, or feel free to reach out to me directly, Zoya Kozakov, across my social media or Zoya at innovation.co. Today's unbelievable guest is Amy Brooks. I could go on and on about what a powerhouse this woman is, but I would rather you get to listen to the episode and see for yourself. A little background, though. Amy is the Chief Innovation Officer at the NBA, as well as President of Team Marketing and Business Operations. She simultaneously challenges the NBA, WNBA, NBA G League, and NBA 2K League to think outside the box and grows the business through development and setting and executing the sporting giants' global strategic priorities. I'm sure you've heard me talk about the challenges of the innovation mindset and setting strategy around innovation to never have it see the light of day as it can get lost across business objectives and other bureaucratic matters. What's additionally unique about Amy's role is that she sits at the crossroads of commercialization and profitability as well as innovation, meaning the two have to go hand in hand. It's a really interesting take on innovation, and personally, I think that it's the future of how innovation fits into organizations. The NBA has been an innovation leader across the globe for centuries now, but we have recently seen multiple booms in this industry, whether it's having to rethink the entire sporting event model in the midst of COVID-19, or the NBA's involvement and embrace of the NBA Top Shot and Dapper Labs really mainstreaming NFTs and making millions of dollars in the process, the NBA is a company to watch when it comes to innovation. Amy really shares the behind the scenes of it all today, which is really fun, entertaining, and of course, beneficial for us all. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and can join me in cheering on Amy as a role model in innovation and beyond. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the Win-Win Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is all mine. So talking about the NBA and innovation in NBA, the NBA has been a long leader in innovation and experimentation and really embracing technology, all of which we will definitely talk about today. But I'd really love to start with you. You've been with the NBA for almost 16 years and have held so many different roles on your current chief innovation officer role, as well as heading up team marketing and business operations. Prior to that, you were consulting with Bain and were a product manager at Sun Microsystems. So at what point in your life does the NBA come in and why?
1: (laughs) A great question. I am a basketball junkie. I I grew up in Sacramento, California, playing a lot of sports. And I got into basketball when the Sacramento Kings moved to town when I was 12. And my dream was to play basketball at Stanford. I was very fortunate to walk onto that team and play. Very excited. They won the national championship this year for the first time since 1992. But that's when I really got into basketball. But from a career standpoint, I I didn't know I wanted to work in sports till later in my career. And I, after I graduated from Stanford, I went into technology in Silicon Valley during the dot-com boom of the nineties. And I found myself in technology and liking it, but not loving it. And that's why I went back to business school with the purpose of working in sports, even though I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I ended up trying to apply for sports jobs, and I realized I wasn't differentiated very much at all, mm-hmm. even with my MBA, and that led me to Bain. And, and I really had a fantastic experience there, differentiated myself via learning how to solve business problems in analytical ways. And I, I just got lucky, and I'm happy to tell you the story, but I just got, got lucky to, to, to get to the MBA after that.
0: Yeah, I definitely love to hear the story. But even going back to something you said earlier, you were a product manager during the dot-com era. It's no secret that I now work in product management too, but it's funny because I really heard about this job only in the last few years and, and you got to do it at a time where it was just you know up and coming. So how did you find out about that job in the first place and, and were you aware of other innovation roles, whether that was at the NBA or outside of it?
1: Well, you know, I was drawn to an innovative company out of college. So I had an opportunity to join a startup women's basketball league that was the ABL way back then. And instead, I chose to join this little software company called Diba. And they made software for information appliances, they called it <laughs> internet TVs, internet kitchen devices, this whole wave of the future. And I was really drawn to that story. And I was just a, I was the 19th employee there and a marketing associate. And we were acquired by Sun Microsystems. So I found myself in the Java station group, which again, for those around in the nineties, the Java station was hot. It was going to be the next big thing. <laughs> so I was a product manager for Java station development tools. And so that that's where I got into this, that world. Um, and I just kind of fell into job after job. And I, again, I enjoyed it, but I knew where my passion was and it just I just thought it was worth a shot to align my, my personal passion with my work.
0: Yeah. And you brought up that it's, you know, it's a challenge to differentiate yourself in any job. I can imagine NBA is an industry innovation or not is super, super competitive to get into, as well as innovation roles. So many of our listeners of women in innovation, know about the challenges of getting into the industry. So how did you weasel your way in? It
1: it, it, uh, takes a little hustle. And
0: (laughs) and first off, I love there, you told me there
1: are over 10,000 people in this network, 10,000 women globally, which I think is so fantastic and fantastic. People focused on innovation in this whole space so it's a who you know world and i ran the sports management club when i was at stanford business school and i got to know someone who ran the club at cal and he a few years later called me up and said hey you know what there's this woman at the nba i know and used to work with she's looking to hire smart people in her sponsorship group they're like i don't know if i'm smart but like i'd love a conversation with her Mm -hmm. And you know, the unique thing is I was talking to one of my friends about this. And I said, I'm going to have a call with, with this woman. Her name is, her name's Heidi Ebroth and she's been a great mentor to me and she is the one that hired me. But let me tell you how that came about is I was going to have a call with her and my friend goes, you're so excited about this. Like, why don't you go back to New York? And I'm like, gosh, you know, I never even thought about that. I was living in San Francisco at the Mm -hmm. time, important note. And she said, or he said, my friend, why don't you meet with her? And I said, you know what, there's, there's a a engagement party of a friend of mine in New York, because we're all close, my business school classmate. And so I I was planning for a phone call. And I emailed Heidi. and, And I said, you know what, I'm planning to be in town anyway, for this engagement party, do you happen to be free to meet? And she not only said yes, and I ended up flying back there, but I not only met with her, I met with five of her vice presidents that same mm. day. And I just don't know if it'd turn out the same if I was just one more phone call. And I really appreciate my friend for, for pushing me that way because uh, I ended up getting hired and getting a job in the MBA's Global Partnerships Group. And that's where I started. I was there for the first three years of my career. And, and it was fantastic. And Heidi's, again, a great mentor.
0: And now you're, of course, on the other side of that. When you think about people that come to the NBA or really want to join the NBA, and they don't quite have that traditional background. So what do you recommend for those people to do? Or are there any transferable skills or or things they can do to really help them stand out? Absolutely. At the end of the day, we
1: are trying to appeal to consumers. We have 1.9 billion social media followers globally amongst our teams, our players, and our league. We're trying to appeal to people to play basketball, to watch basketball, to go to games. And any company that sells and markets products to consumers is very relevant. And so in my group today, we have a really interesting mix of backgrounds. We have people who have worked in sports, we have people who sold for teams, but we also have people who have worked at consulting firms or investment banks. We also, on my broader group, have people who have worked in analogous roles. Maybe we have someone who was at Four Seasons Hotel, ran the the loyalty program for Starwood Marriott. Mm. We've, We've had all sorts of those types of roles come in as well. And so I certainly encourage people to get outside work experience, it, it is, it's important for sports isn't, isn't on, isn't ahead of everything in terms of innovation. And we learn a lot from technology. We learn a lot from consumer products in these other industries.
0: And then specific to innovation, of course, that word means so many different things, but to you, when you consider innovation, what would you say are the specific skill sets that are relevant or tools that are relevant to innovation? First
1: and foremost, I think it's the, the mindset and it starts with intellectual curiosity shortly followed by creativity mm-hmm. and, and it's the ability to to see an industry see where the problems and opportunities are and just dig deep on on what might solve them and so we certainly look for for people with those mindsets and and for us you know innovation structured differently at every company it is closely very closely aligned with strategy for us it is our as part of our strategic growth you know what we do at the nba we're starting a league in africa in may that is close to the core of our business we operate leagues right but we're Mm -hmm. expanding an adjacency in a new geography focused on new fans there but it's not like we are starting some brand new thing we've never done before so it's very closely aligned with strategic growth very close you know core and adjacent growth is really our our focus.
0: And of course, when you started the chief innovation officer role didn't even exist. You truly stepped in it, quote unquote, in 2017. So how did you navigate the creation of that role and stepping into that role and then moving from some of those other uh, business functions that you were in throughout your time in the NBA?
1: It it was, uh, first off, I was very honored to be able to do this because I'd spent a long time doing innovation. What I felt was innovation on behalf of teams. So for since 2007, I've been in this group called team marketing and business operations. And our job is to do all that we can to help grow revenue for teams, build popularity, innovate, develop strong leaders, very focused on that for our 93 teams and four leagues. And to me, I was now given the responsibility to do something similar for the league itself. Mm-hmm. And that is to focus on our strategic growth initiatives and really be a catalyst for innovation. It, it doesn't all lie with me. That was my first learning. It's, I have a small team. Like innovation lies with everyone. And that's what we've tried to, to push is just this mindset of innovation. And everyone, no matter what they do, to take a look at their job and say, you know, just challenge the status quo.
0: It's interesting because with so many different teams um, and aspects of the league that you oversee, there are completely different ways to innovate. Are there any that have stood out to you recently? I have a few examples that I'll ask you about um, that you think have really pushed uh, the limits.
1: Well, in terms of process of innovation, it's organic for the most part. And we have, again, 93 teams in four leagues innovating. We have global offices around the world for the NBA innovating. And so, of course, it happens because of a mindset, but we've tried to do some things as well to to prod it. I'm going to give you a quick example. Um, We had an innovation campaign in 2018. What new business should the NBA get into? Very broad. We We had hundreds of submissions of league and team employees from around the world, and we whittled it down to a few... And the the winners got to present to our senior leadership team and Adam Silver and such. And the the two winners back then were centered around this concept of youth digital technology, this notion we have kids playing basketball all over the world, but we don't really have a way to connect them digitally. And that led to a partnership with a company called HomeCourt, which is a mobile artificial intelligence app that I really wish I had when I was a kid because it tracks your shots. It tracks your dribbles. And we've, they have had millions and millions of kids and adults globally that they've been able to capture. Game, my kids are 10 and 12. They do it outside. It's, they've gamified this in terms of dribbling challenges and shooting challenges. And we're also using it now to evaluate potential NBA draft prospects globally. So we can test vertical leap reach all of those things, quickness and agility, and get a baseline for someone that we could never get before. So that was number one. And again, that partnership just came out of the focus from the innovation campaign. The second winner in the innovation campaign, which, and again, this is 2018, was the notion of the NBA playing in the space of blockchain. And we identified digital collectibles as the first step, the most accessible step. And, and back, back then, there was this company... Who had launched a product called CryptoKitties, which we really didn't understand, but we knew it was hot.
0: It's literally the craziest thing <laughs> on earth. <laughs> we thought it was crazy, and but it created focus.
1: And uh, we had a couple fantastic people on our global partnerships team that said, "Okay, we understand this is this is an innovation priority. Let's take a look at a partnership." And, and lo and behold, two years later, we did a partnership with that same company who launched Crypto Kitties? Our name is Dapper Labs and we created NBA Top Shot. NBA Top Shot provides NFTs around player highlights of our game. And, and it's unique because you have this digital record. You buy a highlight and you have a digital record and you open a pack, just like I used to open baseball cards when I was a kid. I open a pack, but the unique thing about it is you own it and you can keep it or you can sell it. And in just four months this marketplace has generated over $500 million in sales. And of course, we have a lot of people globally in many, many industries talking about NFTs. So obviously it's a test. There's a long way to go in this space too, but we're, we're proud of, of that work. And think it, it was rooted in, in the notion and the mindset of, of innovation organizationally.
0: Yeah, and you you mentioned Top Shot. And I think the other really interesting number around Topshot was that uh, in those four months, it had over... Eight hundred thousand accounts. So taking the money aside, which is obviously really profitable for the NBA, it just goes to show how many people were in that initial group.
1: That is even more important. You know, the the five hundred million number I, I threw out is a little bit misleading because the vast majority of that money doesn't come to the NBA. It doesn't come to Dapper Labs. It is it's on the secondary market. It's you mm-hmm. selling your highlight to Joe Smith. And of course, it's like a a secondary market for tickets. There's a small fee taken. But you're exactly right. So right now we have hundreds of thousands of new potential fans that we can have a relationship with going forward. And so that's what's really exciting.
0: Yeah. And just this week, the Golden State Warriors became the first professional sports team to invest in an NFT collection this week. And of course, now that NFTs have really proven themselves as a viable technology and innovation in the marketplace, I, I can definitely see this partnership and and other initiatives expanding.
1: Yeah, and that's why part of our philosophy with that is to test. We want our teams out there of and of course we put some guidelines around that, but we want our teams out there testing this space, because that's the way we're going to learn. We know this space is rapidly changing and evolving. We don't know where it will end up, but we do know we're going to learn the most by actually being out there and testing some things. And very proud of the Warriors for taking the first step.
0: I'm really curious about back in 2018, right? Because now it's really easy to kind of get buy-in for more testing or expansion. But at the beginning, as this was happening, either one of the two innovation examples you provided or anything else, how do you approach buy-in from this really complex ecosystem?
1: Yeah, well, what the innovation campaign helped with is is some clarity around prioritization. We know that we can expand in different ways that are adjacent to our business. It could be fashion, it could be fitness, it could be health, and, and we do some things in those spaces. But what the innovation campaign did is it created clarity, again, around these areas, youth digital technology and blockchain digital collectibles to say let's focus on seeing what can be achieved and testing something in those spaces and that's and that what it resulted in is these two partnerships with home court and with dapper labs that allows us to do just that
0: something that's obviously hugely changed in the last year and a half is 2019 the nba saw a record amount of attendees to games which was i'm sure a positive sign as for the company as a whole but obviously as covid broke out The rules were completely changed and everything was shattered. So I'd love for you to take me through your wartime innovation stories of how you went about rethinking the NBA model once those COVID COVID broke out.
1: Well, suffice it to say, it's been an interesting year. I'll start there. (laughs) And yes, innovation has certainly turned towards how can we play basketball in a pandemic over the last year (laughs) for the NBA Um, safely, I should note very mindful of that and we're mindful of our leadership position as the, the first league to, to shut down through all of this. So yes, uh, my team and many others organizationally spent months and the first challenge, it was a really two part challenge. One was how can we play safely now, meaning last year and, and what that re- resulted in is what people call the NBA bubble in Orlando. But th- the genesis of that was I mean, everyone in innovation and and, and analytics and strategy can appreciate this, like tons, dozens, maybe hundreds of different scenario models. And, And where should we play? How should we play? How many teams are in it? Because remember, we paused our season. We were in the middle of our season, right? And so it's, first of all, can we come back safely? What do we need to do to prepare for, from a player health, from a public health standpoint mm-hmm. and all of the planning for the bubble, you can imagine making it safe was the first priority. The second priority was, okay, it's, let's make it as safe as we can. What should the competition look like? And that just required us balancing time, revenue, revenue. Of course, health considerations, how many people were in the bubble was very important, but it resulted in a subset of our teams going to the bubble for some period of time. We were very fortunate and just kudos to everyone who, the, our Players Association, especially our players, so much empathy for how fantastic our players have done through all of this. That was the first step of innovation. And in the midst of the bubble, we had to decide what to do for the 2021 season because we had to plan this. Wait, what about next year? What should it look like? And again, the same considerations. Do we think we can play in team markets? How many games should we play? What should the calendar look like? When should we start? When should we end? There's obviously implications to that as well from a scheduling standpoint, from our network broadcast partners. So again, Suffice it to say, a lot of different iterations, a lot of different scenario planning, but we, I think we landed in a very good place, and, and here we are, um, almost to the playoffs. We take nothing for granted. It's certainly been been a battle organizationally, but and again, mm-hmm. so so proud of what our players have done, and we're just managing through the season as safely as we can.
0: Yeah, absolutely incredible. And it's been so interesting to watch on the outside as everything has evolved and and resumed. Something that was true before the pandemic and is even more true uh, during and after the pandemic was the fact that only 1% of NBA fans will or have attended a live game. So, you know, knowing that and knowing the way that you guys have pivoted, what would you say you're taking with you from the COVID times to the post-COVID times?
1: Well, Very importantly, we were able to push innovation during this time even more than we otherwise would have for that reason. We always have known 1% of our fans will ever attend a game. And as such, one of our organizational top priorities is to create a next-generation viewership experience for our fan Mm -hmm. that is more personalized, that is more accessible to our fans globally. And we did that first with the bubble because we had no fans. There were no fans there. We were able to create partner with with Microsoft to create a virtual fan section where we had fans from each market. We had celebrities. It was Mm -hmm. important to our players. Their families were there behind the bench virtually. And we also were able to innovate from a technology standpoint, different camera angles. We had a, a rail cam which is harder to implement when there's fans at games. It's basically a camera that runs right along the sideline, basically eye level of where a fan would be. And we had a designated channel on League Pass or League Pass product where you could just see the rail cam camera angle. So it allowed us to test different camera angles, certainly audio, There were no fans in the building. Mm -hmm. Very sophisticated sound mixing and audio content, just so our fans globally, when they're watching, could still feel the energy. Our players could still feel the energy. So really required innovation. But in the end of the day, we think it helped us get closer to our goal of this next generation experience for our our viewers and fans globally.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. When you consider your role, it's interesting some of the conversations that we've had today, but you are not just uh, dealing with the NBA, but you're also dealing with the WNBA G League and the Esports NBA 2K League. So how have you experienced innovation differently amongst those different parts of the business, or has it always been about the NBA as a larger league?
1: Oh, it's... Different in each of these different leagues. And we have leaders of these leagues. And part of our approach to innovation is really taking off the reins and empowering the leaders who are all incredible people of these different leagues and the teams themselves. But, yes, the WNBA had its own, we call it, Wubble in Brinton, Florida. Tremendously successful increased viewership, increased engagement. The WBA will be celebrating their 25th season this year, which we're very proud of, and so planning for that. The G League, we had a condensed season because it's a pipeline for the NBA, but we launched a new team in all of this. We launched Team Ignite, which attracted younger elite youth to participate in the G League. We packaged it with enhanced life skills. These are future NBA players, Who we are able to attract to this new team, and which will be an important part of the G League and our overall strategy going forward. And then, of course, the 2K League, esports, has done very well in a pandemic. People are at home playing Mm -hmm. NBA 2K. And so the growth in that league has been fantastic. Of course, we've been able to bring in international teams more. Uh, we have a team Gen G located overseas. So, it, it, innovation has happened in each of those leagues as well because we've tried to to unlock and empower people to to ch- again challenge the status quo. There,
0: yeah, and it and it's so many. You have to switch your brain on and off in different ways, so many different times for all of those leagues. It's so impressive to see. I'm really curious about your trajectory and the fact that I want to acknowledge how unique and how incredible it is. Uh, something we see in innovation is a representation of women in the junior levels and roles. But as you get closer and closer to more senior position, there are fewer and fewer women being promoted. In the last 16 years, you've truly climbed the ranks and beat the system, if you will. So what do you attribute that to? And what advice would you give to somebody who doesn't want to jump around companies in order to to get promoted and grow?
1: I think what you last said is very important. I think people often think they need to bounce around a lot. Um, I know I'm an oddity in some respects being at the same place in 16 years. It's a a function of working for a great organization that is growing fast and with great leadership, in Adam Silver and David Stern before him, and strong fundamentals, global fan base, young, tech savvy, all of those things, a combination of the the fundamentals of the business with hard work, just good old fashioned hard work, and very importantly, luck. Because if you work for great people, they're going to grow as well. And opportunities. And I've been fortunate, the roles that I've I've, I've had at the NBA to lead our team marketing and business operations group. My then manager who led it went on to become the president of the Sacramento Kings. Mm. And I took his role. The person before him who led that group went to become the president of the of the Knicks, and he's now the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers. So you're working for great people who get fantastic roles, you again, kind of luck out, so to speak, um, combined with hard work, but I've just been very fortunate. And it starts with like, I enjoy what, what I do. And I've worked outside of sports and I Mm -hmm. talk to my team every day because I have people who have only worked in sports and I have people who worked outside of sports. And if you've worked outside of sports and now you work in sports, you just appreciate it. You're thinking about problems every day. And you're interested in these problems. And and I I like that because we don't have easy problems. Certainly in the last year, we haven't had easy problems Mm -hmm. and they haven't all been enjoyable to think about, of course, but it's like at the core of it, it's basketball and it's growing the game of basketball globally. And also I want to note, this is also purpose-driven what we do in so many ways too, because this has not just been about basketball this year. It's been about social impact and social justice and promoting equality. Sports is such a unique way to unify people. And we take that opportunity and responsibility very seriously. And it's really made me and certainly my colleagues just very proud of where we work too. So that's been another passion point.
0: And I think it really shows, like the, the proof is in the pudding, the NBA franchises have more women serving in the role of either chief executive or team president with more than all the other U.S. pro leagues combined. So clearly that that's paying off. But I'd love to talk about the challenge, right? Because obviously with the NBA specifically being an all-male league and you being a woman, were there any sort of reservations about that or questions that came up as as you rose to this role? You know, there there really
1: haven't been. And I think it does start with the fact of we've run, as I said, a women's professional basketball league for 25 years. Mm -hmm. Our leagues inherently are the most diverse sports leagues in the world. Mm -hmm. We've always been at the forefront, but you are very right. And I won't shy from that. I've been in a lot of rooms with mostly men, Mm -hmm. a lot of rooms, but I felt like the mindset at the NBA is accepting and encouraging of me. And I'm very happy, most importantly, to see more and more women in these rooms. And I'll give you one example of where women weren't when I started, when they are where they are now, which is, you know, when I first wanted to work in sports, there were no female general managers. There were no female coaches for men's sports leagues. I didn't I didn't even consider going that path. And I I look back now, I'm like, would I have considered it if I had seen that there's female general managers or someone talking, Becky Hammond, who's the assistant coach for the San Antonio Spurs, a lot of talk about her being a head coach. And I hope she will be, or someone else will be. But I wonder if I would have ever gone that path because I was a basketball player. That's what I loved is the game first and foremost. And I chose this path on the business side. But that's what I love now. You know, I have two daughters and whether they choose to go in sports or something else, I just, I want the notion for them to see the industry and not say, well, I can't go over here, but I can go over here. I want them to be able to say, I can go wherever I want to go. And that's what we are hopefully getting to. You see female referees in the NBA. You see female assistant coaches in the NBA. You see female assistant general managers. And I think it's only a matter of time till you see head coaches, general managers, and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and it's so hard to be what you can't see like you said. So I think even just having one woman carry that that first weight of of stepping into the role is is a huge a huge game changer. So exciting to see that happen in the league and even more exciting to see you step into this chief innovation officer role. Thank you. Before I let you go, I'd love to ask you one last innovation question and that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now.
1: One month from now, we are going to be starting the NBA playoffs with buildings that are more full, not full, but more full, and will be getting to full by the start of next season. We will be starting our 25th anniversary season of the WNBA, and I'm hoping I will be at more games than I've been over the past year. In one year, again, full buildings of fans, that's really what drives our business. If you think about it, I mean, I'm someone who grew up going to Sacramento Kings games. My dad was a season ticket holder. I loved going, even though the Kings would lose (laughs) at that time. Um, I loved going. And that's what we want to get back to in, in a year. And I'll be personally excited for that too. And then in 10 years, I think you'll just see this business really transform to where the 1% of fans that come to our games are going to come and have an incredible community experience to celebrate their cities that will be enhanced by technology, enhanced perhaps by blockchain ticketing, enhanced by delivering an NFT collectible to them of their favorite player highlight of an autograph of all of these things for going to the game combined with the 99% of our fans. And I hope this is before 10 years. You asked me one month, one year, <laughs> 10 years, but we're hoping much, much closer than 10 years, but the 99% of our fans will be able to watch our games personalized. If they want to watch with a celebrity broadcaster, boop. If you want to watch with a sports betting analyst, push the button. If you want to watch a coach's breakdown of the show, It will be accessible with whatever technologies they'll be. I'll be able to call you up and say, hey, the the game is on. Want to join this room with me? There's all sorts of different things we can do to just drive communities of our fans globally. And we're hoping that's here sooner than later. And I love that stuff. So I'll be personally excited for that.
0: Yeah. And the last mini bonus question I have to ask you is, who's the team that you're cheering on for? You know,
1: It's hard. Because when I first joined the NBA, I'm just a fan. And I would go to the games with David Stern, our former and late commissioner. And I would have to sit on my hands because you're <laughs> used to, the whole crowd is cheering around you. But you're a league employee sitting next to the commissioner. Like, you cannot cheer. Wow. And so that's been beaten out of me a little bit. Of mm. course, I have loyalty to where I grew up, the, the mm-hmm. Sacramento Kings. But but I am a fan of, of all teams. And and sometimes I've, I'm so used to not proactively cheering at games. My husband has to elbow me at, at my kids' sports games. Like, you
0: you <laughs> clap, have to get right? excited <laughs> for them. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. So that's where I am.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Amy. Huge congrats with everything that you're doing, truly innovating, both in a time of crisis and outside of it, and excited to see what you and your company accomplish.
1: Great. We're very excited. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by WIN, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakal. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.